Welcome to the Brute Facts Podcast with your host and everybody's favorite Christian, Eddie Kroon. Don't forget to like and subscribe to the channel and hit that notification bell for future content. Welcome to Brute Facts. Sorry it was a little late getting started. YouTube was having issues. Wouldn't let me go live. I don't know what the deal is with that. Uh, thank you, Pasta Mike, as usual, with Normalizing Atheism for that awesome intro that he did for me. Go check him out over at his channel. He has his own channel where he's, believe it or not, trying to normalize atheism. Um, I have uh, a couple of new things. So I have a website now. It's brutefacts.com. Uh, I set up a Patreon uh, only to try and support some of the show uh, or the cost of the show because there's a lot of different platforms you have to pay for um, not really looking to make money off of it just hoping to get enough to pay for itself uh, if you go to the website at brutefacts.com i also have a merch store there with some pretty decent stuff uh, adding more things as the days go so hopefully you know the goal is like i said just to at least get uh everything to pay for itself. So tonight we have Dr. Tim Stratton and Dr. Tim Stratton has, I've been in the same circles with him for quite a few years now, and he's had a huge influence on me. Um, as I told Adam Coleman, when he was on that, uh, they're two of, you know, some of the main guys that that's inspired me to continue my education at my age. Um, now I can't compete with, the looks of Adam or the MMA or shooting accuracy of Tim. Um, but uh, I'll try to do the best I can with that. So uh, I like to call him an expert on Molinism, but uh, we'll let him talk more about that. Uh, and we will bring him on now. So how are hey, you doing? Hey. Good. And you are my favorite Christian. I didn't know you were everybody's favorite Christian. So, That's a, <laughs> you know, I'm like one of those flavors. You either like me or you don't. It's well, just, there's there's no in between. Yeah. So. <laughs> I kind of know what that's like, too. So, uh, yeah, so I gotta, that, that's right. Exactly right. So, mm -hmm. uh, what was that? Taylor Swift, I think, said it best. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, what you I got to know. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's a conversation for a different night. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. It might come up later. So I got to know. I asked Adam, and now that I have you on here, did you really make that shot? I did, dude. You know did what I'm talking about? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. In fact, uh, Adam and I were just in New York City together last week doing some work there together. And, uh, and we were trying to find, I mean, he said, we got to find a basketball court uh, so that we can try to reenact that whole thing. It was my Steph Curry moment on camera. And then I don't know what happened, but he lost it. And I was like, oh, man. So we're going to try to recreate that at some point. So. So, yeah, it may be hard to believe for quite a few out there who like to make fun of my stature because I'm 5'7", um, you know, and then I get all the, you're 5'2", you're 4'8", you're 4'11". But there is one thing I do very well, and that's play basketball. Really? Uh, yeah, oh, yeah. I grew up in Memphis, and if you don't play 
basketball, then you're a nobody. So yeah, wow. Uh, I got some moves. I, both of my daughters, uh, my oldest daughters, played basketball all through high school, huh. and um, they still can't beat me to this day. They, they'll tell you they did, but you know, <laughs> I get out there, forty-two yeah. year old man. I I play with the high school kids over there. They're you just still like, do. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, time good, to time. Man. Well, time to time when I'm not hurting. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so all those years of sports really yeah. weighs. I hear you. I'm slowing yeah. down. So. <laughs> yeah. so I've been following you on Facebook for years. Um, you have uh, definitely married above you. That's the um, truth. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you have a love of guns, just like I do. I do. Um, yeah. MMA just yep. like I do. Wow. And then when I found out you shot ball and, you know, <laughs> you ended up really one up in me with uh, the, the PhD, I was like, no, nah, uh, that can't happen. We gotta, we gotta work on that. So, <laughs> so tell us a little bit about that. What, what, what made you decide at your age? Um, I won't bust you out on here, but I'm getting old. To, that's <laughs> to go get a PhD. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it started when I was uh, probably in my mid thirties. Um, I, I will. I'm 47 right now, so uh, in my mid thirties, I was a I was a youth pastor. I guess I started in youth ministry in my twenties, uh, right after I graduated uh, with my undergrad, um, and everything was going great. Um, but then I, I saw a wave of atheism, uh, you know, going through the youth group and the college group at my church where I was a youth pastor and one young man in particular uh, really got my attention because he was uh, starting his junior year of high school. He was a really smart kid. Um, and he had been in my Bible study for two years. I had him uh, since he was a freshman. And so, uh, and, and his parents, you know, his dad was an elder of the church. He was raised in, in the church, awesome family. Uh, and anyway, at the beginning of his junior year, this is, a, I think, 2008, he comes to me before the first night of youth group that year and says, Tim, I'm not coming back to youth group this year. I'm not coming back to church. I'm not coming back to your Bible study because I've been watching YouTube. <laughs> I've been watching Richard Dawkins and Stephen Hawking and Sam Harris and Christopher Hitchens. And I always say, fill in the blank with your favorite atheist. It's <laughs> basically what he did. And uh, he says, I've come to realize that that Bible you've been making me read is nothing but a fairy tale. God does not exist. And, you know, I I tried to argue with him and he pointed out to me that in my arguing that I was begging the question. At the time, I didn't even know what a logical fallacy was. And uh, so the 16 year old had to explain to me that um, I can't commit logical fallacies while trying to demonstrate to somebody that. God exists or that Christianity is true. And then I said, okay, uh, but you don't have any reasons to think that atheism is true. And then he went on to give me some reasons. And it kind of shook me. And I started wondering, wow, am I a Christian only because I was raised that way? Only because my parents are? Only because I was raised in uh, central Nebraska <laughs> in the United States of America? Is that why I'm a Christian? If I would have been born in Afghanistan, or India, you know, would I, would I not be a Christian? Right. Um, and, and, and also, more importantly, is there reasons to think that Christianity is true? Are there, are there reasons? Is there evidence? Um, and so I, I was really, sh you know, shaken and I, went, I decided to go on a journey and I was going to uh, see what was true. And I 
I told myself, in fact, I told my youth group that I was going to go on a journey. And if atheism turned out to be true, I'd be the most hardcore atheist you've ever seen. If Islam turned out to be true, I'd be the best Muslim you've ever seen. And uh, if Christianity turned out to be true, um, then I was I would keep being a Christian. <laughs> now, I got, I got to tell you, I've been on a journey now since 2008. Um, and uh, I really got into, uh, you know, I, I started studying, uh, well, I guess I found William Lane Craig's work <laughs> when I started that journey. Um, so I'm very grateful that God kind of uh, helped me get connected with him. And I, then I decided, well, wow, I want to go to Biola University and study there under Dr. Craig and J.P. Moreland and uh, Clay Jones and Scott Smith and you know, so many uh, great philosophers and professors there. Um, and so I went there and I got done with that. And I really felt, uh, I, you know, I, I started thinking about what it means to be a free thinker at the time and thinking about what what it means to be rational um, and what it, what's required to uh, infer um, better and true beliefs over false beliefs. And is that possible and things like that? And so while I was on that uh on that journey and thinking about rationality and, and uh, what it takes to rationally affirm knowledge claims and things like that. Um, I developed an argument uh, that I thought, you know, I'm going to spend most of my time arguing against atheism now because all these atheists that call themselves free thinkers uh, say that we don't have free will. Um, and it hit me that, uh, you know, if you don't, have, you know, if there's no free thinking um, or if there's no free will, there's no free thinking. And uh, now, of course, that needs to be defined. Your terms need to be defined. But uh, at the time, I was actually a determinist myself. Um, I was a Calvinist. Um, I was going to say, I thought you were a Calvinist yeah, at one time. Yeah. yeah. So, so I, I started having all these conversations with uh, these atheists. And then it soon hit me that I had the same problems that I was accusing them of having. I just had the same problems, but for different reasons. And so while I was on this journey, many of my views changed. I'll say that Christianity has, uh, you know, my faith in, in uh, what C.S. Lewis would call mere Christianity is stronger than ever. But so many of my sub-beliefs changed along the way. I became open to um, evolution. I, look, I'm not saying I, I affirm it. I just say I can see how it's possible um, and, and compatible with a biblical view of creation. Actually, and I, when I talk about evolution, I'm talking about evolution from a single-celled common ancestor. Uh, I talk about this in my book, actually. Um, and, you know, what else? I, I used to be a young Earth creationist. Now I think old Earth creationism is true. I affirm a, a universal as did, we, as did we all. <laughs> yeah, right, right. I think many Christians have been on that journey. Uh, uh, yeah, I think the universe is around 14 billion years, give or take a billion yeah, years. I don't know. Um and probably the biggest change is uh, uh, God's sovereignty and, and my view of human freedom and responsibility. So these things all changed along the way. Uh, but my And I guess, you know, I can say that my ultimate worldview did change in a sense. It became much stronger. Uh, so uh, although I was arguing with atheists for so long, it hit me that so many of the people that were attacking my, what I call the free thinking argument against naturalism were Christians, my fellow brothers and sisters. And I'm like, whoa, I'm getting hit with friendly fire. What's going on? And I realized that when I started arguing for free will, you know, I met something called libertarian free will. 
and the vast majority of Calvinists, it seems, are uh, vastly opposed to that idea because they think that God exhaustively, causally determines all things all the time, including everything about humanity. And so uh, this will be easy for you to remember. I call that Ed, uh, E-D-D. Right? <laughs> there you go. Uh, you can also think Ed, of Jonathan Ed, Ed, Edwards. Yeah. yeah, I think you can think of Jonathan Edwards because he held this view um, that all right. things all the time are causally determined by God. And so that's exhaustive divine determinism, E-D-D. So anyway, uh, I shifted then. I said, because I wanted to do a PhD then, I wanted to continue uh, looking into this stuff. And my original goal was to uh, go into philosophy. But since I was uh, being hit with so many um, objections coming from fellow Christians, I decided to shift my PhD and do uh, get a PhD in theology. But I took a, a philosophical approach and even a metaphysical approach. And so I studied uh, philosophy and metaphysics and epistemology, uh, you know, along the way, too. Um, so anyway, yeah. that's how I got the Ph.D. to answer your question. And it turned out uh, it got published in a book and um, I'm already working on the second edition an updated, updated and expanded it's, edition. It's um, a fantastic book, too. I, oh, I thank read you. I've read a lot of it, not all of it, um, because you do an entire survey of uh, free will, theologically speaking, mm -hmm. before you get to the philosophical part of it, yeah. which I'm a philosophy guy. So, I, you know, I'm like, yeah, let me jump over here and look at right. this. <laughs> so <laughs> so well, I, I kind of yeah. bounce around a bit. And, and when I got it, I was like, whoa. I thought it was going to be like his dissertation as a book, and it ended up being uh, a textbook, more or less. So, uh, no, it is. It is a very good book. I love the survey that you do through the different uh, church fathers over the years, the theologians, um, how you contrast uh you know, the ideas of thinking with, you know, Calvinism and libertarian free will. And see, and my issue was I, I didn't like the idea of a supposedly all good God um, who would literally create people to just go to hell. Mm -hmm. And yeah. so Calvinism never really appealed to me. I do uh i am sympathetic to you know the um the grace the not the irresistible grace but mm -hmm. uh i i can see how certain people are called or so certain people are pulled with this um you know almost irresistible grace it's almost like some people are just you know chosen but i i, I couldn't square it in armenianism to me, I mean, to make God dependent on, you know, choices of humans, it just like the Calvinist says, it just seemed to rob from God's sovereignty. So mm -hmm. when I heard about Molinism and I was like, you know, uh, like I said, philosophy is my kind of first love. Uh, and it was literally and I'm all about sitting in between two extremes. You know, I mean, it's like right. if we can take the best of both of these and make a coherent, you know, doctrine or view or something from it, why would we sit on the edges? You know, um, so that was my draw. And of course, like a lot of other Christians, uh, William Lane Craig was the yeah. first person that I heard talk about Molinism. And it yeah. really took a while 
to wrap, be able to wrap my head around. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I tried it, to, you know what? Here's a funny story. The first time I heard Dr. Craig talk about it, I was vastly opposed to it because I was a Calvinist. I spent close to a year studying it every day in hopes to debunk it um, because I wanted to prove that Calvinism was true. And uh, I'll never forget, um, it was during the Super Bowl. I think it was in between the third and fourth quarter when it finally hit me. I'd, I'd spent that. I was sitting next to uh, another pastor in the area who has a PhD in philosophy, no, a master's degree in philosophy. And, uh, and so he takes his theology quite seriously as a pastor as well. And we were watching the game together. And we were, it was, I think it was the year the Packers won, the last year they won with Aaron oh, Rodgers. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, the first three quarters, I wasn't really paying attention to the game or the commercials. Uh, we were just talking Molinism, uh, doing philosophy and theology together. <laughs> a set of Chicago Bears. Yeah. Lifelong Bears. Oh, it's, been a, it's been so, a tough life. Yeah. <laughs> I'm old enough to remember 1986, right? Was that 86? There you go, baby. There you go. Sweetness and refrigerator. Oh, big man. And, uh, I, think, yeah. I think that was the first Super Bowl I ever watched, actually, and uh, never forget that. Well, but, my grandfather was from Chicago, so I grew up watching uh, the Bears on Sunday with him. And about the same time was when I was a little kid, it was Super Bowl Shuffle, the right. you know, 85 right. Bears and all that. Mm -hmm. So it all kind of meshed for this long, arduous trip as a fan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah. I didn't mean to cut you off. Well, no, I, I'll just say in between the third and fourth quarter of the last Green Bay Super Bowl, I don't, I'm not even sure what year that was, uh, but um, it would have been around probably 2010, give or take a year. I don't know. Yeah. But it was, uh, yeah, it clicked between the third and fourth quarter. And I was like, huh, I guess I'm a Molinist. And I mm. sat back and enjoyed the fourth quarter watching libertarian free creatures uh, play an awesome game. So, <laughs> it, And that was and one of the things to me, and this is, you know, there's a couple of guys in the chat that I talk on Discord with, um, and they have been imploring me to tell you to get on Discord because they want to talk to you. I do have a channel on Discord, um, but the um, the in one of the things I said, free will seems so intuitive, you know, that it for me to go against, you know, intuition. And I mean that in a philosophical sense, you know, I know you know what I mean, but for the, those people out there that aren't familiar, intuition isn't just a feeling it's, it's something more deeper. It's really a, um, you're warranted in a lot of beliefs that you hold mm -hmm. intuitively if you don't have defeaters. And it seems not just intuitive, but so widely intuitive that it just, there needs to be a good argument to yeah. go against, you know, the intuition. Like for a long time, I was, I was a theory of time, but the more physics moves along and the better that B theory fits with it, I'm more sympathetic to B theory, even now though a theory growing, are you a growing block theorist? Not sold on it yet. I'm still, right. I still hold to, I, I think that a theory, I am just on the fence of a theory because of the intuition, but with B theory, so many things in physics works with B theory that now from a philosophical perspective, it makes no sense to me. You know, yeah. it just, I, I, I can't wrap my head around it philosophically, how we can, you know, the identity problem, yeah. how, how are we, now the same person that's still existing two minutes ago, you know, right. things like that. So, 
Um, but yeah, not to sidetrack it. So the intuition part of it is what was so strong for me and why I just couldn't really along with, you know, what I said about how uh, God and, and, and creating people to go to hell, uh, those right. two things just, it was like a mountain I couldn't climb. And, uh, again, you know, the attack on sovereignty, uh, or God's sovereignty from Armenianism, uh, just wasn't acceptable to me either. So I was kind of just, you know, and thank God, here goes Molinism. So, yeah, <laughs> you, know, you said something that caught my attention. I mean, I think you said that free will is intuitive and I think, uh, almost, uh, everybody, not, not everybody, but uh, almost, even people that disagree with libertarian freedom, compatibilists are going to say, yeah, we have free will. So I would go further and I say that I think libertarian freedom, not just free will, but that, that libertarian right. freedom is intuitive. And, and I've made that case um, in a recent um, uh, response, you know, that philosopher Guillaume Bignon, a brilliant Calvinist uh, philosopher, we obviously disagree on a lot, um, but he actually wrote a 50 page um, refutation of, of my book. Um, now, oh, wow. I think part of that, yeah, now that is because I, I interact with some of his work in my book. Um, so then I wrote a 50 page rejoinder to his 50 pages. And in, the, in that 50 page rejoinder, um, I do make a case because one of his things is that he said, if memory serves, is that libertarian freedom is not intuitive. But I, I think that it is. And mm. I think you can demonstrate demonstrate that if you uh, with the proper questions. Um so I, I think, you know, nobody, nobody think, well, I don't say nobody, um, got to be careful. I think most people, I think it's fair to say that most people do not think that someone or something else is causally determining all of the thoughts and beliefs or all of your, you know, your evaluations or judgments. So if I say, if I give a proposition and now you're, you're judging that is, is it true or false, Right. Most people are going to say, well, something or someone else isn't causally determining me to say true or false to that or to judge it one way or, or the other. Really, we have the sense that, that these judgings and these evaluations are really up to us as the source of the, you know, the, that there's something about us that we have the, the power, um, as it were, to, uh, to make these judgments on our own. Um, and so I think that that actually points to something you know, it's not, it's not like it, uh, it has to be supernatural, um, but I think it points to uh, something that seems supernatural to me right. in a cause and effect universe. Um, right. And if, if, if my thinking is not causally determined by something or someone else, then you got to you got to answer that question of why. Why is there something about me? Why? Why am I a thinking thing that is a free judger? and a free evaluator, a free thinker. Right. right. Um, and, and so anyway, those are just some of the issues that yeah. I like to discuss. So, yeah, definitely. So, uh, for those who aren't, who are in the chat, who aren't familiar with some of the terms we're using, just, uh, give a quick overview of what Molinism is and what libertarian free will is and how they fit together to, you know, protect God's sovereignty and free will, uh, at the same time. Yeah. Um, so I guess, uh, in simplest terms, uh, I like to discuss what I refer to as mere 
Molinism. And that's uh, in the title of my book, um, Human Freedom, Divine Knowledge, and Mere Molinism. So uh, M-E-R-E, not like the mirror that you look into, but I, I, I took a cue from C.S. Lewis. He talks about mere Christianity. Yeah, I love Right. So, uh, so yeah, for a long time, that's what I said. I'm mere uh, a mere Christianity kind yeah. of person, and right. I kind of switch it over now. I'm I, I just say I'm just more philosophical because you know <laughs> a lot of people are like hey, you just you, you just philosophy everything. Right. <laughs> uh, but real quick before you continue. Um, yeah. I did not get a chance to get all of the links and descriptions into the video, but as soon as we're done with this, I'll have it there. I'll have um, a link to uh, Tim's book. I'll have a link to his channel on YouTube and, uh, the Patreon. I talked about my website and all of that will be there in the description. As soon as we finish this up, you got to get his book. If you're interested at all in any kind of mole, whether, whatever your idea is of, you know, not necessarily soteriology, but, mm -hmm. you know, how you feel about determinism or divine determinism, libertarian free will, monism, all of that. It, it, it covers a broad amount. So, yeah. Yeah. And the second edition is going to cover even more. Um, so. I'm looking forward to that one. Yeah. That's going to be fun. Yeah. And you'll like it. I'm really going to expand the chapter on philosophy. I'm going to, uh, yeah. I'm actually also working on a, on, on a book uh, co-authored with a philosopher that's going to be laser focused on the philosophical defense of the free thinking argument and the different versions of the free thinking argument. Um, but much of that is going to be incorporated into the updated version um, in the second edition of mere Molinism, but that's, you know, two or three years away before that's going to come out. So in the meantime, All I right. do encourage people to get this one, you know, this is going to be a collector's item when the second one comes out. So make yeah, sure it's it. <laughs> limited edition, baby. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> so yeah. Do you want me to, to talk about this? Uh, yeah. 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 What just, yeah. Molinism, what Molinism is um, and the, what libertarian free will is um, okay. And if you can contrast it with, you know, the determinism and compatibilism. Okay. All right. So I might kind of a lot there. So, so guide me along as I go. Let me, let me just okay, start yeah. out. We'll start with just what Molinism is and then <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> how it <All> works. Right. <laughs> okay. So I spend most of my time arguing for mere Molinism. So again, like what C.S. Lewis did when he talks about mere Christianity, really mere Christianity can be summarized in one sentence, you know, if this one sentence, if this one proposition is true, then some flavor of Christianity is true. And that is this, God exists and raised Jesus from the dead. If that statement is true, then some flavor of Christianity uh, seems like it's got to be true. So what do you need there for that statement? You need the existence of God and the historical resurrection. You know, side note, it's pretty cool that we actually have access to those things. We have evidence of the existence of God and we have historical data uh, concluding that, you know, the best explanation of the historical data is that Jesus rose from the dead. That's cool. All right. So uh, let me get back on track. I wanted to boil it down. What are, what are the two things that are essential uh, for Molinism to be true or what I call mere Molinism? So mere Molinism then avoids all discussion of salvation issues. All right, whether whether hell exists, uh, whether or not universalism is true or annihilationism is true, uh, you can have your favorite view of eschatology or creation come along. You know, it skips over all those things; it doesn't touch it. Um, any other doctrinal issue 
um, it, it's really irrelevant to the only, there's only two things that you need. The first one is this. Um, and I state it like this, uh, in my book, I, I say, uh, let me, I have my notes here. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. I found it. All right. Logic. Number one, logically prior to God's decision to create the world, God knew everything that would happen in any possible scenario he could create. All right. So I'll say that again, logically prior to God's decision to create the world, the actual world. God knew everything that would happen in any possible scenario he could create, any possible scenario that God had the power to create. So if that's the case, um, then this entails God's middle knowledge, at least if an omnipotent being has the power to create in deterministic state of affairs, right? So uh, if, if, a, if, a, if an omnipotent being possesses the power to create a, a libertarian free creature, then an omniscient being will know how that free cre- creature would freely choose if he were to create that creature or not. All right. So that, that or not places it prior to creation and God to actual creation. And God can then choose to create or not to create. So there's at least two options there for God. So God has libertarian freedom, but I don't, I don't want to get too far ahead. So, um, so that's number one, the logically prior to God's decision to create the world, God knew everything that would happen in any possible scenario he could create that. So that would, sorry, that would include, uh, with his middle knowledge would be counterfactuals is what we're talking yes, about. That, with, so that's, what, yeah, that's my point. This kind okay. of knowledge is what is referred to as middle knowledge. So I say the, say it this way. I mean, a lot of times people say, well, God used his middle knowledge to do that. I'm like, I think that that's sloppy speaking. I think we just need to say that God knows everything he could do, everything that would happen if he did it. Uh, and then God, uh, God chooses to create. And now God knows everything that will freely happen, right? So, so again, God knows everything he could do, everything that would happen. And that includes what would freely happen if he were to create free creatures and then he creates free creatures and now he, kn- he knows how they will freely choose. So, it, so that's middle knowledge because it's not just counterfactual knowledge. It is counterfactual knowledge and perfect counterfactual knowledge logically prior to God's creative decree. So I like to say it this way. Imagine, uh, or think about the Kalam cosmological argument. Um, the Kalam gets you back to a, a supernatural immaterial, timeless, beginningless, uh, enormously powerful and uh, volitional. And, and I, I even argue for a personal cause and creator of the universe. Well, and, and that's in a state of affairs where time, at least dynamic time doesn't exist. The, the clock hasn't started ticking as it were, because God hasn't acted. So I, I call this a static state of aseity. This is true. If God creates a, a B theory block universe or, an A theory universe, right? Now think about it this way. If there is no static block, if you're a B theorist, if there is no static block, just God, and then God creates a static block, B block universe, um, even though there's nothing happening as it were. (laughs) Um, It's it's kind of hard with the temporal and non-temporal terms. But there has been a dynamic change and and, and, an ontological change a block didn't exist and then it exists. Right. So there's a form of dynamic time for Christians who believe that the, the block universe actually came into existence um, from nothing. You would still have 
you know, even if it's fully formed, are, are you tracking with me? Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah absolutely. So, anyway, I, I'm getting sidetracked here. All I'm saying, let's get back to mere Molinism. <laughs> Number <laughs> one. I'm with you. I I, okay. I go off on the tangents yeah. myself. I, yeah. so. <laughs> get me on a rabbit trail and look out. <laughs> yeah. Number one, God's got middle knowledge. Right. So that's the first thing. Number two, this is the second essential ingredient, um, is this. As beings created in the image and likeness of God, humans like God, possess limited libertarian freedom. And, and by that, I'm talking about um, a couple different things. But, you know, number one, that we are the source of at least some of our thinking, some of our actions, that at least sometimes God or something else is not causally determining everything about me. God is not causally determining all my thoughts. I'm not always mind controlled by something or someone else. Right. So, uh, that's number one, but there's also I, I argue for something a little bit more. All so that first kind, of, that first thing, uh, that first kind of uh, libertarian freedom I'm talking about there is sourcehood libertarian freedom. That's all I need to make a case for mere Molinism. But I offer uh, for or I argue for what I call a stronger version, and that's similar to what uh, people would call a leeway-based approach or an alternative possibilities approach, and. Um, I like to cash it out this way. I'll say uh, the opportunity to exercise an ability to choose between a range of options, each compatible with human nature and the actual world and the antecedent conditions are insufficient to causally determine all of our thoughts, beliefs, actions, behaviors, etc. So um, God, I, I mentioned earlier that God had two choices, each compatible with his nature. He can at least two, maybe more. I discuss this at length in my book, but God has, as it were, the opportunity to create or not to create. Um, both of these things were within an omnipotent God's power to do or to choose. He could do one or the other. There's some things that God can't do, right? God does not have the freedom to stop existing. God does not have the freedom to not love a person, yeah. I would argue. Um, God does not have the freedom to be a quadrinity instead of a trinity. Right. Um, there's some things that God doesn't have libertarian freedom uh, over. But God does have limited libertarian freedom. For example, he can choose to create a universe or not. And if one denies that, they're going to run into big theological problems. Um, and I discuss those in my book. Uh, so... So if God has limited libertarian freedom, right, can he create humans in his likeness uh, who also have limited libertarian freedom? And I argue that he did. I argue for that biblically. I argue for that philosophically and theologically as well, uh, using perfect being theology. So anyway, ultimate or ultimately, <laughs> uh, Molinism, or at least mere Molinism, entails two propositions that God possesses middle knowledge and that humans possess libertarian freedom. If I, if you give me those two things, right, if one affirms both propositions, then they're a mere Molinist if they realize it or not. Right. And so then the question remains as to what this mere Molinism could be applied to or not. And that's where the, the fun begins. Those debates are fun. Right. You know, if, if we should, apply mere Molinism to salvation issues or not. But even if we can't, uh, just like there's some things that God can't do, if there's ever 
a time when I am not causally determined by something or someone else when I choose uh, something, um, then I'm free in a libertarian sense. That's called sourcehood libertarian freedom, right? If I am the source, if something or someone else is not causally determining me at a certain moment, then in that moment, if I choose, then I'm choosing with libertarian freedom. However, so so that is, even if I don't have the ability to choose otherwise for some weird reason. Um, so, uh, well, a couple yeah. of points real quick before we move on from there. So uh, I, in, your, in the book, you talk about, um, I think, an important thing also about libertarian freedom, and that is it doesn't mean that we always have right. uh, libertarian free will, and it doesn't mean that all people at all times have libertarian free will um so it's not one of this one of these unlimited type of uh free will that everybody has all the time available right and the second point would be so a calvinist when you were talking about let's say uh god's middle knowledge my understanding is the contrast between calvinism molinism and armenianism is that Calvinism and Molinism both affirm that um, the world that God created was ontologically prior to his decree to create. And Armenianism is post-decree uh, to create because of foreknowledge having to see what mm. creatures would choose. Um, well, for my yeah, understanding, well, yeah. Right. So my yeah. understanding was that Calvinism and uh, Molinism share that God's uh, the world that God created was ontologically prior to His decree. However, obviously, Calvinism would deny middle knowledge. Um, I, I would want to ask you what you mean by ontologically. The world, I mean, the world didn't exist ontologically well, prior. They, yeah. They, yeah, based on God's natural knowledge and middle knowledge, um, based uh, based on those uh, those his ontologically prior to his decree to create was um, these are things that God had a perfect knowledge of before. Let's say using anthropomorphism, he chose to create the world. So it's it's because of who God is and his knowledge that he possesses uh, is the reason that he created or, or is the reason that he created the world that he created. And it was prior to that. I think that's one of the points Craig makes is uh, that Molinism and Calvinism would share in that. And that's why most would deny Armenianism is because it's not uh, it's not ontologically prior to his decree to create it. It's basically he has a decree to create and then creates the world based on what creatures would choose to do, you know, with foreknowledge. Um, so I, that was my understanding yeah. of. I, I think I would uh, edit some of that, um, mm-hmm. but I think you're on the, on the right track there. Um, I, I think, uh, so I think the first thing to grasp when we're comparing these different views is that um, unlike Calvinism and Arminianism, uh, Molinism is not a soteriological system. That's the first thing. Right. I that, like and that was a, that was the next point I was going to make okay. was it's a very important 
one is that one can have different soteriologies when they're talking about Molinism. It's not necessarily, Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a very Calvinistic version of Molinism. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah, And so, I mean, it's not, and I think that's where a lot of people get mixed up theologically is they think that Molinism is some type of soteriology system and it's not, it's just how we, you know, uh, make a coherent view of being made in God's image with free will and protecting God's sovereignty. Mm, yes. And that's the, that's the important thing uh, for, for Calvinists and Molinists. We want, we both right. want to protect God's sovereignty there. So um, it's good to see what we have in common um, with our fellow brothers in Christ who disagree. And so, right. you know, the, the Molinist will find himself agreeing with much of what the, Calvinist says, um, but they're like, well, we can't go to exhaustive divine determinism here. That's going to violate so many things and cause so many theological problems and philosophical problems. And uh, that's just untenable. But then we can't go over to the open theist side, even though the open theist and the Molinist might agree, you know, on so many things. Namely, we, we both affirm libertarian freedom that we're not always causally determined, but they were like, ah, but wow. Uh, that doesn't really seem to jive with Isaiah 41, you know, so yeah. <laughs> to name a uh, uh, Bible verse off the top of my head or a passage. So I like Molinism because it seems to give you everything you want. You can have your cake and eat it too. And I think you can right. do so without violating any laws of logic and you can be consistent. Um, and that's really what my book is about. But really all Molinism does is offers a model demonstrating how some things like you were talking about, Hey, it's not all things. That's exactly right. Some things can be left undetermined by God or or not causally determined uh, by God and, and how humans can possess libertarian freedom. So, uh, so you got that, that God doesn't causally determine all things and that humans have libertarian freedom and Molinism demonstrates how God can be sovereign and predestine all that he does not causally determine, including the libertarian free choices of humanity. So in my book, I I spill some ink demonstrating that uh, predestination ought not be conflated with causal determinism. So the Molinists can affirm exhaustive predestination of all things while rejecting exhaustive divine determinism of all things or causal determinism of all things. So, so I think that's a big mistake. People assume uh, that, Oh, well, since God predestines things according to scripture, well, I guess everything's causally determined. No, that's a big mistake. That's a philosophical error. And I think it, uh, I think scripture makes that clear, but anyway, that's all that Molinism does. So, so that's a huge difference, a difference if I can speak, um, (laughs) which is vital to keep in mind when comparing and contrasting Molinism and Calvinism and any other soteriological view, Molinism is not necessarily a soteriological view or a salvation view, uh, a view on how people get saved. Um, But with that said, however, uh, I believe, and I argue that Molinism can be applied to salvation issues. I think it should be, but what's what's interesting to note, and as I explain in my book, sorry, I keep saying that, but, no, no, yeah. Because, I mean, it, it, because there's a lot there. So. Yeah, yeah. But I, but I spent a lot of time demonstrating that a five-point yeah. Calvinist, a tulip Calvinist, uh, can also affirm mere Molinism. Uh, they would just say that some thoughts or actions 
uh, not related to salvation issues are free in a libertarian sense, and that God possessed middle knowledge of these free thoughts and actions. Um, but all things related to salvation issues are uh, causally determined. That's their view. And I say, okay, great. I, I disagree with that. But one is free at the end of the day to hold the position uh, and affirm both five-point Calvinism and the two essential ingredients of mere Molinism, right? So, so the five points of TULIP are not logically contradictory to the two essential ingredients of mere Molinism. So, uh, so with that said, if you'd like me to compare and contrast Molinism applied to soteriology with the views of what's commonly referred to or thought of as Calvinism or Arminianism, Arminianism today, I can do that. Do you want me to go into that or not? Uh, I mean, it's really up to you. I, I, I had a couple of questions before you yeah. went that way. Let's so I've, so I've had the easiest, um, I mean, I've had someone, uh, basically sum up middle knowledge for people to understand a little better is God knows hypotheticals. Is that too simple or is that not? Uh, it's a little too simple you, for, for yeah. middle knowledge that needs to be placed logically prior to his creative decree. So right. Uh, so before, think of it this way, before God says, let there be, boom, God knew all the hypotheticals. And I like to cash it out this way, that God knows the could, would, and the will. So God knows everything he could do, right? An omnipotent God has options by definition. It doesn't make any sense to me if somebody says uh, that everything God, that, that, that even God doesn't have libertarian freedom, right? They're out there. Some of these Calvinists are out there, um, some Calvinists, not all, and some Thomists, not all, uh, will say that, um, or at least it's implied with what they're saying, that God does not have the ability to do anything other than what he actually does. And and so uh, this is referred to as a modal collapse then. And right. if, if, that's, if that's the case, um, I mean, how, how can we say that God's om omnipotent? He's really unipotent. Is, yeah. is what he is what he is yeah so, if you get stuck with with you know modal collapse and that just means that everything had to be right uh right. i mean it's it, it, creation was necessary you know yeah. so um yeah. so the other so, yeah. thing was yeah no the other thing was um i mean you don't have to get into it real deep but initially what would be your rejection of open theism does it to me it it seems to attack attack omniscience uh it doesn't seem to me that god could truly be omniscient if he doesn't know you know what we could or would do in situations uh and to just say that he reacts to mm -hmm. um our decisions it, it, it seems to not not just that but his sovereignty also yeah i have the same intuition um and plus i think scripture it's really hard to to make it work in scripture. I think there's a, a lot of gymnastics that uh, needs to take place to make open theism work. But I say the same thing about Calvinism as well. And I'm sure they would say the same thing about me. So um, we, I, in my book, I talk about, uh, I offer some reasons to, to, to think that open theism is false um, and really kind of go after what's called the grounding objection a little bit plan on developing that more in the expanded version as well. But um, ultimately, look, I, I think, I mean, I, I think it has, I think open theism has a hard time with perfect being theology. They would disagree, but my intuition says otherwise. And, and uh, so we have competing intuitions there. So the question is, are, 
you know, is, is our, and are our intuitions causally determined by something or someone else? Or do we have the freedom to evaluate our intuitions and to actually take some steps to change our intuitions? Um, so, but with that said, I, I find it really hard. Like you look at Isaiah 41, uh, Chris Date and I were talking about this uh, not too long ago. Chris Date and I are colleagues at, um, at Trinity uh, uh, in with uh, Braxton Hunter and Jonathan Pritchett and those guys, uh, Trinity uh, Seminary. Um, and uh, we disagree on about everything, <laughs> but, uh, but we have a, a great time talking to each other. But right. one thing that Chris and I were discussing um, was uh, that, you know, Isaiah 41 seems to be the litmus test for, for the true God. And the true God seems to know the future, according to Isaiah 41. Then we seem to have instances in scripture where uh, that's demonstrated as, as well. Now, in my book, then I, I take, you know, I take, uh, I, is, I do, go ahead. Is that the one where God says that if you stay, you'll be killed or? No, um, no. Because they're, yeah. That's different. Yeah, that's another oh, okay, reason. Okay. That, yeah. I was going to yeah. say, because there actually are a, a few verses that do kind of hint at a middle knowledge, you know. Um, I don't remember the scriptures off the top of my head, but one about if the miracles were performed, um, yeah. they would have repented. And, you know, the one about if you stay, you'll be killed. Was it Saul or Samuel? Right, I don't and Kaliah and, yeah, yeah. If you stay, you will be killed. And obviously yeah. he wasn't killed. So he got the heck out of Dodge. Yeah. So, I mean, it seems yeah. that, you got, that, that it's really a no brainer. I mean, it, looking at scripture that yeah. God would have this kind of knowledge. Yeah. Now I'll just say, yeah, although I'm not an open theist, I think there's problems there. I really appreciate my relationship with some of my open theist brothers out there. We do, we do agree that humans have libertarian freedom and, uh, and you know, they, they're, they definitely see the problems that comes along. If you're going to say uh, exhaustive divine determinism is true because then you run into big problems that I discuss at length in my book and in my rejoinder to uh, Guillaume Bignon, I, I, I point out that, look, if, if God's going to causally determine all things all the time, then that means that uh, we really kind of have an undercutting defeater uh, to our uh, to our rationality, our cognitive faculties, right? We, we lose um, justification to trust our thoughts and beliefs because I don't know any theologian who says that he's infallible. Well, if God causally determines all things all the time, then that would also include all of our false beliefs, right? If God causally determines uh, uh, you to happily affirm a false belief, then it's impossible for you in the in this world where God's doing this to infer a better or true belief. So now you're left with just assuming that God... Uh, that causally determines you to affirm false beliefs is making you think correctly on this matter. Well, that talk about right. begging the question. That seems to right. seems to me that you're assuming that this God who you affirm that causally determines all people to affirm and advance, well, at least to, to hold false theological beliefs, right? Even I don't even know any Calvinists that would say that 
affirm that all of my theology is perfect. Well, if that's the case, if, if you're not infallible, if you've got at least one false theological belief, then God has causally determined you to happily affirm a false theological belief and to advance it probably too, to affirm and advance a false theological belief. But then as soon as you say, but I know he has causally determined me to think correctly on this issue. Well, how do you know that? I mean, that seems to be begging the question. Um, right. you're, you're saying, look, you know, and I, I kind of, you know, uh, put the weight, you know, I put the pressure on here a little bit. And I said, look, you're left with the, to, to uh, borrow from the Avengers. Um, you're left with a God of mischief as in Loki, you know, or a deity. Right. of deception. And he said, yeah, but God has given me assurance that this is true. Oh, well, the deity of deception has assured you that he's not lying to you. Right, and that's that's an undercutting defeater that, there. If that's your that, view, anyway, that, I think I went down another rabbit trail. But that's a, yeah, but that's a very good point. I mean, that, that that is a real, you know, if you're one who believes in you know divine causal determinism, that's exhaustive anyway, yeah, or exhaustive. Yeah, you, mm-hmm. you, you, there seems to be no way out of, you know, uh, that that area. I mean, that idea. I don't, I don't know how no. one would um get out of there um so i won't talk, i want to ask about the grounding objection because i know that's something that's going to it it's going to take some fleshing out so um which i know that's usually the grounding objection is usually one of the biggest uh objections to molinism which is basically how could god know counterfactuals or how could yeah. god know things that aren't true um mm-hmm. and, and to me i it doesn't and maybe I just don't have as well an understanding about it, but to me, it seems as I mean, it, we we kind of have a hint of m- like middle knowledge ourselves. We know what our children are going to do in certain situations. Oh, yeah. We're that's, our, counter, that's counterfactual knowledge. It's not middle, right? right. Well, okay, yeah, got, good, right. We have counter close to it. Yeah, yeah. So mm-hmm. I mean, if we if we even have you know, the amount that we do, because I mean, there's certain situations where we are extremely confident. We know what our child is going to choose. It it would seem that if we're made in the image of God and, um, you know, God is, you know, the exemplar, the perfection Mm -hmm. of the image that we're created in, it just seems like a no brainer to me that, you know, God would have that perfect knowledge. So this just hit me right now. So yeah, don't uh, don't say Tim Stratton said. Well, okay, <laughs> I'm not going to hold this with a close. I'm not willing to die on this. But I guess you could say there's a way that we ha- have something similar to middle knowledge. For example, you could say, all right, um, my wife and I are are trying to decide if we're going to start a family. I know that if we have a son or daughter, they would freely choose to sin if we choose to start a family. Um, and then you say, well, I'm, we are choosing to start a family. Uh, and so therefore you're actualizing. A, you don't know the specifics like God does, but you do know something true of uh, your, your son or daughter that hasn't even come into existence yet. You know that they, they would freely choose to sin if you create them. Then you decree, we will create them. And uh, now you know, once they're born, now you know they will. 
freely choose to sin. So all that changed is, you know, you knew they would freely choose to sin. Creative decree. That's yeah, uh, that's really interesting. So you got a form. It's not. Yeah, that's not great, but it's a it's. Maybe it's, a good it's an analogy you can't mm-hmm. press too hard, like right, all right. analogies with God. You right. can't press anything too hard; they all fall apart. Now, if you, uh, if you I, want a movie to help illustrate this, uh, Doctor Strange and the Avengers. Oh, I love this show! Yeah, right, right. You got Infinity War and yeah. Endgame, and, and in Infinity War, Doctor Strange looks and examines like over sixteen million possible worlds. He calls right. them possible futures, right? And then it's based on his action. So this is a form of middle knowledge. It's not like ultimate middle knowledge, but Dr. Strange uh, acts. So this is knowledge of what would happen based on different actions that Dr. Strange could take. He sees there's only one world available or one possible future available in which the evil of Thanos is defeated. And so he does the seemingly unthinkable. You think he's making a huge mistake at the time. He gives Thanos the, the time stone, right? Yeah. The time stone. And, uh, and then, that leads to his own death. Oh, but he's resurrected in the second movie and, you know, and, the, and evil is defeated. So it's really uh, an awesome analogy there. But I think we can say that what Dr. Strange had was a form of middle knowledge um, because he was then able to act and actualize a possible world to make it the actual world. And I think you can solve a lot of the problems of evil with that as well. Even the problem of uh, some forms of divine hiddenness not all. Right, I'm working on right. uh, some of these right now. Um, but uh, I've got a video on my YouTube channel, so people can go there and search for Doctor Strange and uh, and see the, well, the connections I'm making. Somebody had actually pointed something out to me that there's actually another movie that predates that uh, that would be probably familiar to more of a regular audience, and that's Men in Black. Uh, the guy in Men in Black who could see what oh. would happen if yeah. they didn't do this or he and before dr strange it was he would look at all of the different futures you know and and it's oh we got to leave now we got to go now or this is going to happen or this well, gonna yeah happen. and i started right. thinking about it and i was like whoa that re- that's exactly you know what the, what the idea is uh behind you know molinism is yeah right. check it out i forgot the guy's name but it's the weird looking guy was that the uh, third movie or the second one it wasn't the- i think it was the second one yeah i'm gonna have to watch that again now <laughs> yes it watch yeah. watch it and i'm telling you you're gonna be like it, it's a much simpler now i love dr strange but those mm-hmm. who aren't you know marvel freaks like us and you know really get into it and understand all of that it, it's a much simpler version um and when i th- when they pointed out i was like wow that that really was that's exactly what he did you know <laughs> so yeah. Um, was there any points you wanted to clean up? I usually try to keep it around mm-hmm. an hour. I, I don't like to, I don't, you know, want to keep you all night and they are blowing up with all kinds of questions. Well, uh, <clears throat> um, excuse me. Do uh, you have I, time to do a few? Should I talk a little bit? I, if I wanted to clean anything up, I guess, uh, maybe just really discuss what libertarian freedom is. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, That's because just to, just this morning I, I published on my blog, you can go to freethinkingministries.com, and I published a, an article uh, called Defining Libertarian Freedom. Um, so let me bring that up here. I just want to read a little bit of what I said here. Um, I say, uh, as explained, and again, in my book, <laughs> Libertarian yeah. Freedom 
may be defined essentially as the conjunction of a rejection of compatibilism, along with the claim that humans, at least occasionally, possess free will. That is to say, the advocate of libertarian freedom affirms that people possess freedom of moral and rational responsibility, and that the freedom necessary for responsible action is not compatible with determinism. And so then I make it clear that there are at least two ways of understanding the libertarian freedom of of man. Um, And I say this, in simple terms, libertarian freedom sometimes refers to a categorical ability to act or think otherwise, and it always refers to source agency without any ultimate external causes. So the former is sufficient for libertarian freedom, while the latter is necessary. Um, But then in that rejoinder I was telling you about, I, I tightened it up a little bit, and I said, the first is what is referred to as sourcehood libertarian freedom, according to which, as I say in my book, sorry, libertarian freedom always refers to source agency without any ultimate external deterministic cause. That's on page four. And the second definition of libertarian freedom is stronger and often referred to as a leeway-based approach or an alternative possibilities approach. As I noted on the fourth page of my book, one of the goals, at least whenever possible, was to argue for the stronger definition of libertarian free of libertarian freedom. And I phrased it as follows the categorical ability to choose among a range of alternative options, each of which is consistent or compatible with one's nature. It could also be expressed as follows. The ability to choose among a range of alternative options, each of which is compatible with the agent's nature at the moment of choice and the antecedent conditions are insufficient to causally determine the agent's work. So with that said, let me give you one more, a little more precise. You know, I, I love getting a little bit of pushback. So with every bit of pushback I get, I just rejig it a little bit and uh, tighten the screws down. So here's one. The opportunity to exercise an ability, right? So focus on the word opportunity. You've got libertarian freedom if you have the opportunity to exercise an ability to choose among a range of alternative options, each of which is compatible with one's nature in a given circumstance where the antecedent conditions are insufficient to causally determine the agent's choice at the moment of choice. So with that said, the the determinist and the compatibilist who at least thinks determinism actually describes reality uh, fails to access this definition because if an agent's choice is causally 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 determined by something or someone other than the agent, then the agent simply does not possess an opportunity to think or choose otherwise because alternative opportunities have been causally determined to be unavailable and incompatible with the agent's nature at the moment of choice. So that is to say, uh, if something or someone other than the agent causally determines the agent to think or act in a particular manner, then the agent does not have alternative options that are each compatible with the agent's nature in that specific circumstance at the moment in question, because there's only one choice option that's actually compatible with the agent's nature at that moment of choice. So if there's no alternative opportunities of actually, if there's no alternative opportunities actually available to the agent at the moment of choice, then the agent cannot fail to seize opportunities that are simply not there. So that would be um, really what I mean 
by libertarian freedom. And look, I, I recognize all these different definitions of libertarian right. freedom. I don't think I've seen one that I reject necessarily off the top of my head, but I affirm a whole bunch of them. But for the sake of <clears throat> what I find to be important, I'm cashing it out in such a way saying, look, if you've got, if, if you have this kind of power or opportunity, then you have libertarian freedom. And if you don't have this, if you don't have these opportunities, then I think you can start to make a case against moral responsibility. And I spend a little time talking about that, but I'm primarily concerned with rational responsibility. And I'll make that case there. Um, that, that you have to have this, uh, you got to have access. If, if something or someone else delimits or, or, or blocks off or locks away all these other, uh, what I call uh, alternative egos, right? Evaluative judgment options. If you only have one judgment option that's compatible with your nature at a moment of, of uh, evaluation or at the moment of judgment, then you stand in no position to, to know, you don't, you don't know if any of those other judgment options should have been accessed. You don't have access to them if something or someone else causally determines them to be blocked off or locked away uh, from, from your choosings as it were. So anyway, um, that's, what's important to me. I, and you know, I'll end with this. I was just listening to Taylor Sear, um, on his, uh, podcast today or no, it was yesterday. I was listening to it. And, uh, by the way, it's a great podcast. Um, the, the free will show, I recommend it. Also listen, get, get the free thinking podcast, which is my podcast, but then you got the free will show. Um, and it's great. Taylor, uh, noted that Peter Van Inwagen said something to the effect that uh, that free will is a term of art and that the philosopher or the theologian in this case is free <laughs> to um, to define freedom for his own purposes and for what he's trying to do. And so there's sure there's some disagreements on uh, what one, you know, if, if one uh, wants to affirm that definition of libertarian freedom or not, but each each uh, philosopher or theologian is has freedom to uh, to define it for their for the sake of their arguments and uh, for what they're trying to accomplish. So, um, yeah, that's that's the way I define it. Um, I recognize the historical uh, definitions, and I say, look, uh, if if you are not causally determined by something or someone else when you choose, then you have libertarian freedom, and if you ever have alternative options, each of which is compatible with your nature in that circumstance. And the antecedent conditions have not, you know, if those antecedent conditions are insufficient to causally determine your choice or your thinking, whatever, then you're free in a libertarian sense. And even if you didn't have that second part, but you only had source said you're still free in a libertarian sense, but I'm rambling now. So no, 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 I, I'm, I'm, I'm eating it up. You know, it's, it's, uh, I, I, I list mostly most of my books are audio books. Hmm. So um, I just, I really just don't like reading. I just, you know, <laughs> I, I've never, I think it's my ADHD because yeah. uh, my mind can wander and I'm just an audible learner, you know, audible and visual. Yeah. So uh, actually on Chrome, I have this uh, read aloud uh, extension. So hmm. um, with the, uh, with your book on um, Kindle, I can use it to read aloud and listen to it and follow yeah. along. 
So mm. I'm, I'm all about it listening to yeah, it's pretty cool. Well, yeah. I, I I tell you, I love uh, good podcasts, um, and I listen to those when I'm mowing the lawn or while I'm, you know, working out on the treadmill or whatever. <laughs> I listen to right. podcasts whenever I can. Um, I, so, I, yeah. I do a lot of traveling for work, and mm-hmm. I have. And the, I'm. I, I hate to to plug it, but um, for YouTube Premium. I mean, I I just eat it up because it's. You know, you can actually close out uh, the video and still hear it. Hmm. So I'm like on YouTube. Yeah, I'm I'm listening to just all kinds of stuff all day. And being ADHD, I'm all over the place. So one day I'm learning about this is why we're talking about the stuff right now. Yeah, it's right. I mean, it's one, uh, for for a couple of days. I'm like just head on in Molinism, and then the ne- right. and then I'm looking at the facts for Jesus's existence and resurrection. And then I'm just like uh, all over the place. Uh, so, do you have a little bit of time? To take a few questions. Yeah, let's do it. Okay. All right. Cool. Um, we've had quite a few. Some of them are closer to the beginning. Uh, you know, I think you may have answered some of those if not they can ask them again uh so let's start with uh <laughs> the first one when is question time now mark <laughs> <laughs> uh writer john buck here we go um wouldn't dr strange only have knowledge of what could happen and not what would happen uh no he he had what knowledge of what would happen based on uh, his actions. So, so he had knowledge of all these 16 million worlds or so. And then he knew that if he acted in a certain manner, if he, and and by his act, he would actualize a possible future. He would start that chain of events as it were, right? So if he gives Thanos the stone, he knows everything that would happen if he does that. Now he also knows if he doesn't give Thanos the stone, all these other options of what would happen. And he didn't like those options, right? They were uh, the Avengers lose the evil wins in every one of those uh, other possible futures, and so he does the unthinkable uh, to the audience anyway. But he knows what's going on. He knows what's going to happen. He knows what would happen if he gives Thanos the stone. He gives Thanos the stone. Now he knows what will happen, and that's why he has uh, this strange peace <laughs> as he yeah. tells Tony Stark. It was the only way. And then, and then he dies, but he knows he's going to be resurrected. Yeah. <laughs> so. All right. That was an easy one. So now um, Joshua Phillip, who I know is spicy on discord. Um, sorry if I just doxed you. Um, <laughs> we were actually talking about this the other night. Um, do libertarian free wills reject contrasted contrastive explanations or complete ones. If we take a principle of explanations to be a principle of intelligibility, does this not entail that libertarian free will leads to unintelligibility? Um, my understanding was contrast contrastive explanations were explanations given determinism. I don't know how that applies with uh, libertarian free will, but this is what he and I were talking about the other night. Uh, all right. So help me understand that. I, I, uh, I don't use those terms, so I want to make yeah. sure I'm understanding them. Um, um, contrastive explanations or complete ones. Help me understand that. Yeah. 
Hey, Joshua, put that into um, a little easier terminology. Um, <laughs> it's oh, for me, easy. anyway. Yeah. yeah, I'm with you. I'm like, mm -hmm. yeah. When he was bringing it up the other night, I was looking up con contrastive explanations, and the only thing I could find on it was it I was mean, something I, that applied to determinism. I'm guessing um, by looking at complete ones that, that there's a complete causal chain. But I want um, I want some uh, clarification before I go further. Yeah, I I would I would definitely uh, I. I understood what he meant the other night um, and I've lost it because um, it's not something I spent a lot of time on. So uh, hopefully he's still here and he can make it. I mean, if I'm through. right, I'll just say, uh, do I think that everything uh, can be tied to a complete causal chain of events? Uh, no, uh, I don't. I think that humans are first movers. Uh, in right. some cases. Now, of course, my existence, my physical existence is causally chained um, uh, or uh, maybe, maybe, or maybe not, but, but, uh, uh, but yeah, I, I, the, the, the person who affirms libertarian freedom would say that we are uh, first movers. Um, so just as uh, God is the unmoved mover, humans in his likeness and his image would be the ability to be first movers, at least on occasion, or what I like to say, uh, first uh, thinkers or primary thinkers. That right, we we are free to think. Uh, God has blessed us uh, with cognitive faculties, uh, which are uh, not causally determined by other things, but which are you know, if we're careful and we do our due diligence, we can infer better and true beliefs over false beliefs. Um, and uh, uh, but but I. I think that that's uh, if I'm okay, going to say yeah. that the initial conditions of the Big Bang causally determine my belief uh, to affirm a certain proposition or not, then that's not a good reason to believe the proposition. And I like to say, don't believe everything you think. Yeah. So basically, uh, as that clarified, um, it's. Uh, Let's see. John Buck and Josh Phillip both answered uh, just an explanation for why one option obtains over another one. Jimmy chooses chocolate instead of vanilla because what would be this is. Um, oh, I OK. Look, one thing that I do that's different than a lot of other libertarians <clears throat> is I look at what the definitions that have been offered for compatibilism which say uh, that, that um, compatibilism is a thesis that free will and or moral responsibility is compatible with determinism. And so I discuss this in my book and quite extensively in my rejoinder that I was discussing, my 50-page rejoinder. Um, if So look, I, I, now, first thing, my primary focus is on rational responsibility, not moral responsibility. Um, so, uh, right off the bat, we, you know, right out of the gate, we have some, we need to define some more terms, but if compatibilism is the thesis that free will and, or moral responsibility is compatible with determinism, I can say, well, look, I don't think, I don't think moral responsibility or rational responsibility is compatible with determinism, but I'll give you some instances where, my action of, say, choosing chocolate 
over vanilla can be described as free in a compatibilistic sense and still causally determined. But there's no nothing morally wrong or rationally incoherent with, with choosing chocolate instead of vanilla. I was, just might have been born that way to prefer chocolate over vanilla. Um, so look, I, I, I'm, I can grant one way of looking at compatibilism while rejecting the other. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think uh, there might be a causal chain that leads to my choosing chocolate, but that's not a responsibility issue. Um, so I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So basically it's, we can be, uh, you know, predetermined by our nature to do certain things or enjoy certain things or like certain things. Um, but that's really not, um, the, the, I mean, the, I don't mean not important thing, but the more important idea is, you know, the moral responsibility or rational, uh, you know, choices that we make. Mm -hmm. It's so would you say that if I chose to do something morally wrong, um, would let's say I had the free, I had free will to choose to do something morally wrong yet. I chose to do that instead of doing the morally right thing. So what would be the contrastive explanation there? What would it be that caused me to choose X over Y? I mean, well, that question assumes causal determinism. So that's begging the question. Um, so as soon as somebody says, well, wh what caused you to do the morally wrong thing? Well, okay. That's your, your, if a determinist is asking me that you're not a determinist, but if the determinist is right. asking me, you're like, hold up, you're begging the question in favor of your own view. Um, so my view is that uh, we are the kinds of things created in God's image with limited libertarian freedom. We are, I'm a substance dualist. I think that makes the most sense of biblical and philosophical data. Um, and so I would be an immaterial thinking thing. Like God, if you look at the Kalam, uh, the Kalam cosmological argument gives you this, and I think that scripture uh, points to this too, but that God is an immaterial thinking thing um, who does not require a body, but can take on a body. The second person of the Trinity did that uh, for 33 years. And I am an immaterial thing created in the image of God with limited libertarian freedom that can also exist apart from my body. And someday I will, and someday I believe I'll get a new one. Um, so, but, but yeah, uh, we can't say that it's, um, we can't, we can't beg the question in favor of, of, of the view. You know, and that's actually a very good point because, um, you know, when I was talking the other night, I, and as we were fleshing it out, I really didn't even catch that part, but I pretty much said close to the same thing. I was like, it, it seems like no matter what I say, you're saying you're using, a, a de deterministic event or cause or something um, because every time I say, well, it was because I weighed the options and I didn't like the results. Well, then, um, then there, you know, the response was, well, then that you were determined by that. And I'm like, yeah. no, that's, that, that's not how, 
but that's exactly right. It is begging the question. And I'm, I'm usually, I'm, I'm known as like the fallacy police because <laughs> I just play into it now. So, right. um, no, ultimately I, the question is what caused my action to do, uh, to, to commit sin X, whatever that is. I did. Right. I, I am the cause. I'm the first mover there. And, and we can see this <clears throat> in scripture, right? I mean, just for those who are Christians and Bible believing Christians, I think first Corinthians 10, 13, uh, <clears throat> does a fantastic job of demonstrating this in, in that passage. Uh, Paul is, you know, at, at least this is true for Christians. Cause they're like, okay, well, um, he's writing to the Corinthian church. These are Christians. <clears throat> so this is at least true for Christians, if not others. But for at least Christians, we can say that we have libertarian freedom, according to 1 Corinthians 10, 13, because Paul says that every time that we are uh, tempted to fall into sin, God promises to provide a way of escape so that you do not have to fall into, into sin. Well, what follows from that? Uh, I'm sure, um, you know, it's safe to say, Eddie, that you still sin, at least on occasion, right? No, no I'm I do. over that. I'm over are, that. Are you done with that now? Good job. <laughs> Good job. Um, but I'm still working on it. I still sin on occasion. Yeah. And uh, so, but what, what follows from that, according to Paul's own words? Uh, yeah. Pa- Paul said that, every, you know, if I, if I sinned uh, right before we started this uh, interview um, and I did sin X, whatever that is, uh, well, there was a way of escape that God provided according to Paul, and I failed to seize that opportunity, right? So there was an opportunity there to fall into temptation or to take the way of escape. There's two options. Each seem to be compatible with my, at least my regenerated nature. I can sin or not sin in that instance, and I chose poorly. So I cannot say the devil made me do it. No, I am responsible. And no matter what you do, you better not say that God made me do it, right? Right. Uh, because I am responsible. God gave me a nature that doesn't have to do just one thing, you know, right. contra the Calvinist belief typically, right? God gave me a nature in his image with a supernatural ability, a supernatural power to be able to seize opportunities to take the way of escape or not. And I, I do think that um, that's uh, there's something supernatural about that. I, right. I could be wrong, but, but uh yeah, it's a gift from God that we have. So, yeah, when when I sin, I'm the cause of that sin. Right. So, this one, um, I can actually answer this one. Uh, what does Doctor Stratton think about the concept of best possible world? I don't know what you're going to say, uh, but there there might be uh, differences of opinion on this. Uh, as far as best possible world goes, I. I see it as a range of equally uh, of equal best possible world. So think of a bookshelf and on the top shelf, you've got, got a range of your, of what would be equally best possible worlds. Uh, and then, you know, you got the, the other worlds, uh, the, the pretty good worlds, the good worlds, and then you start getting the bad worlds and the horrible worlds. Um, but I don't see uh, uh, an, and incoherence with thinking that there's equally good possible worlds. Now, I will t- tell you this. Was, uh, Kirk McGregor has called this the tide for the best possible worlds. Um, I do think there might be, I'm trying to think this through a little more, but I think there might be something to be said for the best of all feasible worlds. But feasible worlds 
are a subset of, uh, well, okay, I'm getting ahead of myself. But feasible worlds are a subset of possible worlds. Now, I would say there might be a best feasible of all created worlds. But if that's the case, then that would be equal with God's static state of aseity prior to creation. So you would at least have two tied for the best worlds that God could actualize. So, so I say if there is a best of all feasible worlds among all the created worlds, then uh, God would, if he chooses to create that world, choose that one. Now, if there is tied for the best feasible worlds, then uh, God just simply has to choose one of those. Um, but if it's uh, if if there's a best of all feasible worlds, if there is only one, if God creates, he's going to create that one. And just like Dr. Strange did, right? And that world was filled with pain, evil, and suffering, and death. Right? But it was still the best feasible world. So you gave a ton of nuance to that. And I was going to give it a really simple answer. <laughs> but I appreciate, I appreciated how you brought the feasible worlds in and contrasted that with possible worlds. I really haven't even thought about hmm. uh, that idea. I was just going to give it Peter Kreft's answer. Kreft, Kreft. Uh, what do you say? Uh, there's no such thing as the best possible world. Because you can always make the world a little better or a little better. It's just like saying that yeah. what what is the highest number in infinity? There's no right. such thing right, because right, you right. can always add another number, yeah. another number. Right, but I right. love how you I mean, you literally just gave me in this this whole nuanced view into, you know, looking at it now from feasible worlds and mm. possible worlds. So, uh, but in a nutshell, that's how I was going to answer it. I was just going to give it Peter Kreef's answer. Uh, yeah. so yeah, you, you definitely are like on a whole different level there for me. Well, so. that's just some of the things I'm thinking <laughs> through right now. I could be wrong about that, but, uh, no, I, I like that. Fun, I, so. uh, I, I definitely like that. Uh, just a I couple be wrong more. about all this stuff today. So I just, I, this is well, what I just spend my time thinking about. So this is what, that's what I love about you is you're humble enough to say that, you know, and, and well, I am the most humble person I know. That just went out the window. Of all, of all <laughs> humble people. I, okay. I'm, not, I with you. Sorry. <laughs> I'm, I'm not a comedian too i'll tell you that yeah uh just a couple of more unless you want to bounce that's uh my fun. time is your time so uh or your turn is my, t- my i don't know how that my goes, wife so is yeah. probably watching and say just finish up and get home sorry I, honey. I, I, <laughs> um okay let's see more. All right, a couple more. According to the free thinker argument, a belief cannot be rationally held if one could not have done otherwise than believe it. But wouldn't there be certain beliefs we cannot help but believe, Mm -hmm. such as in the self or in our own hands? Would the argument say we cannot rationally hold these beliefs? Yeah, that's a great question. So there's two different kinds of rationality here. So I'm not saying that, uh, uh, let me tell you what I am talking about. What's important to me is certain kinds of uh, abilities that it seems that a rational agent uh, must possess, such as the ability to, at least on occasion, infer better and true beliefs 
over false ones. Now, if something or someone other than me causally determines me to happily affirm a false belief, then in that scenario, it is impossible for me. If I'm causally determined to happily affirm a false belief, then it's impossible for me to infer a better or true belief. And it seems to me that rational agents are the kinds of beings who possess the ability to infer better and true beliefs over false beliefs. So, um, I look, I don't think my dog has libertarian freedom, but I would grant a sense of rationality to him. But I'm talking about, some, look, we all know that there's a big difference between uh, the rational animal and dogs and cats and other animals. Right? So there's a big difference here. We, um, and, and so uh, my dog doesn't have the ability to engage in abductive reasoning. But we do. And that's really uh, what is the inference to the best explanation? Well, if if I'm causally determined to happily affirm a false belief, uh, then I have no ability. I have no opportunity. Right? That's the key word. I have no opportunity in that scenario to infer a better or true belief. All I'm left with is assuming that my beliefs are good and that my thinking that led to these beliefs uh, was good. Uh, I am only left, I'm the naturalistic determinist. I'm left assuming that the initial conditions of the Big Bang and maybe tied together with some quantum events has causally determined everything about me to hold true beliefs in the situation. Well, that's begging the question, it seems to me. And if I'm the theistic determinist, then I'm left, as I said earlier, uh, affirming that a god of mischief or a deity of deception is causally determining me to affirm true beliefs. But that, you know, if you're, if you're wondering if, uh, if CNN is reliable, if they're fake news or if they're reliable. And so you go to fact checkers and the fact checkers say, Hey, we've done our due diligence. We've done our work and you can trust CNN. But then you realize that the fact checkers work for CNN. Uh, now you're, you know, vertigo sets in, right? You're like, wait a second. I don't have reason to trust. Uh, you know, if I was wondering if I could trust CNN, uh, I, I still don't have reason to trust that hasn't answered my question. Right. So, right. um, anyway, I'm, again, there's a rabbit trail that I'm great <laughs> at. <laughs> hey, I'm um, with you, man. I, I, yeah, I go okay, right so down it with you. So <laughs> yeah, have I answered this question? I guess what I'm just saying is I'm not discounting all knowledge and rationality. When I first offered the free thinking argument, like back in 2012, that's when I first started advancing it on Facebook. Right. And, uh, and uh, and for a few years, the way I formulated it, it wasn't as tight as it could have been. I, I knew what I meant, right? And a lot, I think most people that were charitable understood what I meant. But then as I was, uh, you know, I was being sharpened like iron, I realized, okay, I'm going to have to reword some of these premises to be more precise. And so if one is looking at some of my older versions, they're going to say, well, rational, you know, if one doesn't have libertarian freedom, they, they, they can't be rational. They don't have knowledge. Okay, look. I'm talking about a specific kind of rationality and the ability to rationally infer claims of knowledge and rationally affirm claims of knowledge. There's two things I'm working with here. So um, I point people to my book and especially to my 50-page rejoinder. I, I really spend time clarifying. I think in that 50-page rejoinder, I probably spend around 20 to 25 pages really tightening those screws down um, or 
the loose ends, whatever I'm supposed to say there. So right, that's <laughs> no. yeah. All right, sweet. Oh man, thank you so much, Tim, for your time. Yeah. Thank you for coming on here. There's so much to learn and and pick your brain about. Yeah. And I know that you've written a uh, a nice big thick book that's hard for people like me to get through. But uh, <laughs> I like videos, yeah. so just keep doing the yeah. videos. Uh, <laughs> go ahead um, and plug your stuff uh, where people can find you. Uh, information about you, the ministry, um, anything that you want to plug? Well, the first thing I'd say is there is a lot to learn. And, you know, I remember uh, when I was younger uh, and I worked really hard to get a black belt in karate. And I remember my instructor, when he gave me my black belt, said, now you're ready to start learning. And, I, you know, as I got my PhD in, in theology and, and uh, published this book, you know, uh, like, well, okay, now I'm ready to start learning. And I, I, there's so much to learn. So many, uh, authors and philosophers and theologians to read. It's probably almost impossible to read them all, uh, and to be very familiar with all of their work all the time. But I just want to encourage people out there, uh, have fun with this, um, conversation, have fun with the debate and let's not, uh, you know, let's especially the Christians who are disagreeing on these views. Let's have fun um, having this argument together. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. And to the atheist out there who disagrees, um, I see you as my fellow human. Uh, I believe you're created in the image of God, even if you don't. And I still think, I mean, some of my best friends are atheists, and we have so much fun talking about these things. So I just want to say uh, we're all learning, we're all in the process. I've learned since I published my book. That's why an expanded and updated version uh, is going to be coming out in two or three years because I'm like, oh man, there's things I should have said. There's things I could clarify. So with all that said, have fun. Don't be a know-it-all um, and uh, because nobody knows it all except for God. Anyway, um, where can you find my stuff? Uh, well, if I haven't mentioned it yet, you can get my book. It's available on Amazon. If you like Kindle, it's only $9.99. So that's a good place to uh good oh, place wow. to go. um yeah otherwise the book is probably i think 25 dollars or so and for the say, hardcover it's even more what's that i was just gonna say i'm pretty sure i paid a lot more than that yeah the hardcover <laughs> i think is around 40 um okay yeah so uh and they all you know i think book YouTube. Prices, oh yeah youtube yeah, I, I, yeah. Uh, go to my youtube channel it's called uh free thinking ministries uh, just like Eddie says at the beginning of his show, you know, please subscribe and ring that bell and like videos, share the videos. That helps me out uh, a lot. Um, and really, I, uh, I talk over half of the material is regarding either, I'd say, I'd say probably 90%, well, 75% of the material yeah. is focused on Molinism, free will issues, middle knowledge, things like that. We really like to whenever possible, take pop culture like we did with Dr. Strange today. Whenever I have an opportunity to connect the Avengers or Star Wars or the Matrix or uh, the Book of Eli or whatever, and uh, and make some theological implications, I love to talk about that. So yeah, go to Free Thinking Ministries on YouTube. And my website is called freethinkingministries.com. You can subscribe to that too. Make sure you don't miss uh, blogs um, or anything there. And then we've got a free thinking podcast. So it's a, the free thinking in one word 
uh, podcast, and there I co-host that show with uh, a guy that's working on his philosophy degree, and he's currently at uh, uh, Biola working on his master's degree in philosophy. So uh, we have some really good conversations together. So that's uh, I've got two journal articles that are out there. I've got another one that just got picked up. Um, it's dealing with John Schellenberg's um, uh, objection against the existence of God based on divine hiddenness. And I think that Molinism uh, solves the problem. I think that the Molinist is not scathed by John Schellenberg's otherwise really good objection. So, uh, yeah, stay tuned for that. That'll be published in a journal uh, next year. Sweet. All right, man. I appreciate you coming on here. They are. Uh, I'm going to send you a, an invite to Discord. I know you're a busy guy, so. Um, so, so you got to tell me what is Discord? Oh um, come on! It I is. Um, I mean, I, it, is it, it a platform it, or what? Yeah, it originally was a gaming platform for uh, gamers to talk and stream games and stuff. Okay. So they have voice chats where you can talk just voice and hear each other or just oh, type cool. or you can do cameras or whatever. There's a lot of um a lot of uh philosophers and theologians that are on there and young and up and coming. Really? Uh yeah, most of these questions in here come from guys that are on uh Discord and uh, in my server and uh, a couple other servers that are there. Um, so it, it's an awesome place, man, to, to really, there's a lot of, like with my server, I have a whole section of different academic articles, you know, mm. that for each individual thing, there's different topics where you can talk about whatever you want to talk about. And then you can go and just, talk anytime you want in different chat servers and stuff. So it's pretty cool. Um, I mean, I'm I'm, they're making fun of me for not knowing what discord was, but Hey, that's, I'm not 90. That's a, but, he, you're right. He's almost 50, yeah. but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> part theology and I, we're, we're going to go at it now. I don't that's know. It. He's, he's um, Ethan's a cool guy. He's, uh, uh, I'm just messing he, with you. Yeah. He's, no, he's, he's a cool I'm going to have to check it out. I'll check it out. Um, I'll send you a link. And if you get the time, I, I know you're a busy guy, man. You got yeah. a lot of stuff going on, yeah. uh, but they're dying for me to plug it so that you can <laughs> come be a part of it. If you feel like cool. it, or it's just something else to make your wife mad <laughs> at you. So he called me grandpa. Yeah, <laughs> I am a grandpa. So what's up <laughs> hey, with that, we, Martin? Okay. Well, this Mark guy says that I look 30. So I love you, Mark. We're, we're good friends now. So. Yeah, Mark's cool. He's let me tell you. Let me tell you about Mark. He, uh, I'm not going to dox him, but he's really young, uh, and he's extremely smart. It's actually most uh, Joshua, Mark, um, Ethan. Uh, Ethan's a little bit older, but these guys are at, at their age. This was the last thing mm. I was thinking about. Yeah, me and too. Some of the questions that they give me, I'm just like. Bro, I talked to like philosophers in a serious philosophy group, and I haven't been challenged like that. Yeah. And sometimes I think they just overthink stuff. But, you know. <laughs> well, uh, at different times of the year, I have more time to be yeah, involved. No, 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 like that's that. great, man. I yeah. am, I am extremely appreciative that uh, you took this opportunity. I know you're a really busy guy. Thank you so much for coming on here. Everybody, make sure you check out his stuff, freethinkingministries.com, Freethinking Ministries podcast, and Freethinking Ministries on YouTube and get his book. It is well worth it, I promise you. So, 
Thank I'm going to bounce you out and right. see everybody out. And then I will, if you got to go, that's cool. If not, I will holler at you in the backstage. All right. There you go. Dr. Tim Stratton. Um, he's almost as handsome as I am. Uh, <laughs> he's a bit older than me, so I do got that going for me. And and he gave us another little nugget that I can hold against him. And that's, uh, he's from Nebraska. He's a corn husker. But, uh, other than that, no, it's, he does great work. I've been following his stuff for a long time. Stay there. Um, and I'm a, extremely grateful that um i can you know people like him want to come on here and talk you know with such a small show hopefully one day we'll be big thank you everybody that was here thank you for the questions thank you for the lively chat um again uh i was rushing home from a job that was a long ways away to try to get here on time for the show so i didn't get a chance to put all the information in the description I will get it all there. I'll have all the Tim stuff in there, linked to his book, his sites, everything. There's also uh, Patreon I set up. So if you want to help out, $5 a month, something like that, whatever, anything just to help, you know, cover the, just the cost of, you know, this, all of these different platforms, the podcast platform, um, StreamYard, all of these different uh, things cost monthly. And this is a hobby and passion of mine. And, uh, I'll keep doing it whether, you know, people give or not, but it'd be nice if it could at least cover the cost itself. Check out my website that I launched, uh, brutefacts.com. Um, I also have a store there with some merch on there, some pretty cool stuff, uh, pretty good quality stuff. Um, so check that out. That'll help out, you know, a little bit. And, uh, again, check out, uh, normalizing atheism with pasta Mike, the one who does all of my logos all of my intros the break-ins the breakouts he does every bit of it um he set up this whole design for me and i am extremely grateful to him uh because he didn't ask for a dime for it As a matter of fact would ref refused it so he did it all on his own time um because he's just that cool of a guy uh thank you Thank you again, everybody, for being here. And I do have a show lined up next week. The guest was confirmed, but um, may have a scheduling conflict. So I can't announce yet who it's going to be, but it's going to be a pretty decent guest. It's not going to be as big as Dr. Tim or, uh, you know, Graham Oppie. That was like a home run, but uh, uh, eventually we'll get big, uh, bigger. We'll get other big names. So have a good evening, everybody. Thanks for hanging out with us. Take it easy.